Before the uh, service started, Lou and Pete were praying up the front and I went and joined them. And what Lou was praying, I said, would you finish? Well, that's about half my sermon you've just prayed there. And also the feeling that what God's been speaking to us so far is possibly the other half. Or, but, you know, I think what this reinforces to me is I'm not coming sharing something which I think God's given me which is going out and having to fight to get accepted. I think what God's given me to share today just ties in with what he's speaking to all of us, most of us about. So uh, I, might have, I might get a bit lost occasionally because I might need to cut a few bits out because we've already dealt with them uh, today, but we'll, let's go into it. Right, let's remind ourselves of the passage we're looking at, Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 4, because this is what all of what we've been speaking about so far today, which people have brought all tie into. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. The bit I'm talking on today, picking up from what Pete said last week, is on the, uh, the area of healing. Now, reading that, you might thought there's no mention of healing there. It's tied in to the bit in verse 1, where it says that the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Another way that word poor can be translated is those who are afflicted. So that includes those who are ill. And when we look at Jesus' ministry on the earth, the fact that he was healing people was clearly seen as evidence that God's kingdom was coming. So I think if we want to gain understanding about healing in God's kingdom, we need to look at what Jesus did. Now, I'm starting from the point that I don't need to persuade you that God heals, and I don't need to persuade you that God heals today. So I'll take all that as assumed. I think the issue we usually have is why don't we see more healing than we do. And I think that's really what the bit I want to uh, look at today. Pete reminded us our God reigns and that is the truth. And I think the thing we have to always keep in mind when we're looking at things like healing is that what Je the Jesus teaches is true. If what we see doesn't tie in with what he teaches, the problem isn't with what Jesus teaches. So we need to get our minds and our 
way of doing things, our activities aligned with what Jesus says, rather than trying to force Jesus to do what we think he ought to do. Does that make sense? Good. Right, so I'm going to read quite a long passage from Luke in chapter 8, starting at verse 40 and going into chapter 9, because I think it's one... The sort of topic I'm talking about is so wide-ranging, there's no way I can cover everything. So I'm just picking out a few points. And I'm sure you'll be able to see other points I've missed, I miss out. So anyway, Luke chapter 8 and verse 40. Jesus has been over the other side of Galilee, and he's healed the man with demons there, and he's come back across uh, the lake. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any more." But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whenever you do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against you. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Before we look at what these passages tell us, a question. Did Jesus heal everyone? And did the disciples heal people everywhere? 
What do we mean by everyone? What do we mean by everywhere? Because it says here, the disciples preach the gospel healing everywhere. Yes. But it was everywhere where they preached the gospel. There were places where they went where they weren't received and they were told to move on. And we're told in one part of the New Testament that Jesus healed all the people who came. But let's look, looking at this passage, that doesn't seem to be what happens. He's come over the lake. There's a crowd waiting for him. Lots of them want healing. And what happens? Jairus, this big person, leader in the synagogue, comes along and almost drags Jesus away, saying, look, you must come. My daughter needs you to come and heal her. And what happens to this woman who's had this discharge for 12 years? She sees her opportunity of healing disappearing. Jesus isn't waiting to heal all the people there before he moves on to Jairus' house. <coughs> so what does she do when she sees her opportunity going? She does what she can do. And she touches Jesus. But actually, if we read the passage, she doesn't touch Jesus. She just touches the fringe of his garment. Almost the smallest possible touch you could do. And she's healed. Jesus says, who's touched me? And this woman now is trembling. Why would she be trembling? She's had this discharge for 12 years. That makes her unclean. If she touches somebody else, she makes them unclean. So you've got this important teacher, this person who can show you the kingdom of God, and she's made that person unclean. So, what sort of reaction is she expecting from Jesus at this point? Physical healing was not 
the most important thing for that woman at that point in time. Because if physical healing was all she needed, Jesus could have gone on, knowing that she was healed, and left the situation. But, remember, she had had this discharge for 12 years. She's been seen as unclean for 12 years. Can you remember what you were doing in 2000, February 2011? <coughs> Can you think of all that you've done since then? And think you've, had, you've got somebody who's had that period of time being ostracised in society. So yes, she does need healing, physically, but she needs more than that. So, Jesus, by what he did, is also healing her from the stigma of that, her experience. As we're also reading in verse 1 of uh, Isaiah 61, it's good news to the poor and binding up the brokenhearted. So I think the first lesson we have is yes, healing does matter, but it's not always the most important point. So when we are praying for healing, we need to be listening to the Holy Spirit in case there's actually something else which needs dealing with as well. We can't just... No. It's already come out in other people. God often works in ways we don't expect and does things we don't expect because there are actually often more important things happening than what we're thinking about. So we need to be prepared for that. And what did Jairus need to learn in this? He was an important person. Jesus was willing, you know, Jesus came for the poor and the oppressed, but he, as I say, that doesn't always tie into what your wealth is. But he needed to learn that just because he was a ruler in the synagogue, it didn't mean that Jesus didn't also care for these other people as well. And he would take time out. Even if that made it life more difficult for him. But also what he needed to learn from what Jesus said to him was he needed to learn not to fear. He needed to learn that he needed to trust Jesus to trust God in the situation. So in a situation where, you know, he comes along, he's desperate for Jesus to come and heal his daughter, 
and it gets delayed. And when it gets delayed, things get worse. But he needs to learn to trust Jesus in that situation too. We need... Jesus is Lord over all. God is in total control of situations. But we are very limited in what we know and our understanding. So therefore, we can't assume that if things don't seem to work out the way we want God to do things, that there's some way in which God is at fault. Doesn't even necessarily mean that we're at fault. You know, we should come and pray for healing. But maybe in the situation, God in his wisdom and in the bigger picture can see something we can't see. And as with Habakkuk, where he needs to trust in God, even when one after another all the sources of his food don't produce anything, and all he can see coming up is starvation, he says he will trust in God there. And we need to trust in God. So therefore, well, I'm going to miss a few bits out. Therefore, we need to make sure we don't give up and that we are persistent. This woman was persistent. Jairus, in that sense, was persistent. He didn't give up when the message came that his daughter was, uh, had died. Whether we see God at work immediately or not, we are to keep praying for healing. We've, as Sam, I think, I'm not sure if it was in an elders' meeting in church, I lose track sometimes. Just reminding us, but I know he has at various other times, you know, God has given us prophetic words over this church that we will see healing. We've seen some healings, but we haven't seen it at the level we would expect from what the prophetic words say. And I know as an elder, I can easily... Yeah, we do what we're told from the prophetic word at the time, but it's easy then just to let things move on and sort of put it a bit to one side. And I think what God is calling us at this time is to get back into praying for healing. And we need to be praying for healing within the church but that in a sense needs to be practiced for praying for healing outside the church because we want to see God's kingdom come in Faversham and the surrounding area and beyond so therefore yes we do want God us to have people to know that they should come in here because God's at work but also we need to be going out so God's at work out as well Right, I'll go, I'll go back to my, probably my last reference, James chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Partly, 
because this reinforces we need to look at all of scripture and take all of it and not just one verse because I was thinking oh there's something in James 5 I can use in my sermon to make a point I wanted to make it does make that point but then it made the opposite point in the verse after so we've got to be careful we don't take something in scripture and take it beyond what it says so anyway James chapter 5 verse 13 And something very helpful I came across recently on James. James is a summary of all the teaching of the Jerusalem church. So about every three or four verses is basically a sermon summary, which is why it seems James seems to jump all over the place. And you get a little bit, and then it moves on. So anyway, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is great power as is its working. Now, the point I was going to make here is I think as a church we tend to be too individualistic because that's in our culture and therefore if you want prayer for healing I think we have a tendency to get people we know and trust to come and pray for us fair enough but as an elder of the church it's very rare possibly maximum about once a year over the time I've been an elder, for people in the church to ask me to come and pray for them and anoint them with oil. Now following the scripture here, I am not going to volunteer to pray for anyone and anoint them with oil. Because the scripture says, if you're sick, you call the elder. Not that the elder decides you're sick and turns up. Because if you call the elder, you are showing your faith in what God is going to do. And that, I think, is important. Now, I would be very tempted to say, you ought to be calling the elders, you know, and that's one reason we don't see as much healing as we do. I think that is probably an element. But, as I said, we need to read on. It also says, in verse 16, pray for one another that you may be healed. So there's nothing wrong with getting other people to pray for you, as well as the elders. It's not, you know, as so much in Scripture, it's not an either-or often, it's a both-and. So get the elders to pray for you, get those you know and who are close to you to pray for you. But also, interestingly, in both parts here, it's also talking about confessing our sins to one another and if when the elders pray for you, if you've committed any sins they will be forgiven again, we would tend to want to take the praying for healing bit and put to one side the uh, you know, if you've got sins and again, what we tend to want to do, and I know I'm as guilty of this as anyone else 
is that we want to confess our sins to God privately because we know that he will hear us and forgive us. But sometimes, maybe more often than we are willing to do it, we actually need to confess our sins to one another. Because ultimately, that takes... Well, that puts a big dent in our pride and our thinking that we can cope or we can cope with a little bit of help from God. But God has put us in a community to work together so we can confess our sins to one another, we can pray for one another, we can see healing. And my final point, which doesn't really on this, is we've been talking about faith. Faith is not a feeling. You don't, you don't pray in faith because you somehow you feel that in this situation God is going to work or that somehow you've built up your feeling of faith enough to be able to pray. You pray in faith because either, as I say, we're calling the elders to, to anoint, you are following what God has commanded you to do, and you're showing that you trust God by doing what he's told you to do in his word. Also, you are praying by faith when you are acknowledging that it's God who's in overall control and he's the one who can do it. So I have no problem with somebody saying, you know, if you're praying, saying, I haven't a clue, God, how you're going to do this, but I know you can work in this situation. You've, our faith is in the one who works in God. Our faith is not in ourselves having faith. And any faith we've got comes from God anyway. He gives it to us. So, you know, let's not neglect to do things because they think, oh, I haven't got the faith for it now, therefore it won't be effective. If God is calling us to do things, let's do them trusting the one who's called us. Because that's where our faith is. Well, I was originally thinking of getting people into groups to pray, but we've already done that, so I'm going to leave that now, because I think we need to get onto the notices, because they're going to take a little while. But I'll pray, you pray at the same time. Lord, we thank you that you're the one who heals. And Lord, we want to see more healing because, Lord, sickness is not from you. And you have come to bring renewal and to bring new life in all its ways. But, Lord, help us to hear from you. Help us to keep praying, Lord. Help us to keep praying even when we don't see results. Lord, help us to be consistent in this so that, Lord, we see more and more of your hand at work, both in our church and in our town. Amen.